Would you just sing this with me? For all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of God. Is that true in your life today? As we sing, uh, as we come here, Phil, thanks for the picking those songs, and I know God laid those on your heart sometime before you knew exactly where I was going with the message, but first service was amazing, um, just how all those songs, and uh, actually, during first service, I was sitting next to my wife, and we sat down after singing that song, and I'm just a puddle, because um, that's just a really meaningful song to me, um, because God's just been faithful, you know, as, uh, as I'm sitting here um, and sitting next to people today and just and knowing some of the stories of people that the few people that I know here, every one of them's like, you know, life's been hard at times, but God's faithful. Um, and man, what an amazing place to be is to be, be in the hard stuff, but still know that God's faithful. And I hope that that's true for you today. Well, my name is Bill Letcher. I'm the candidate um, for the position here at the church. Uh, my wife, Kathy, and I and our four children have been attending UBC since uh, mid-May, and we've really come to find UBC as our home. And we're very thankful for that. It's been neat getting to know some of you all. What an amazing event. How many people were at the uh, Pizza Palooza bingo and all kind of stuff we did last night uh, in the Q&A? So, man, that was a great event. Um, and to see a packed room this morning, the gym was packed. I was talking with one of the ladies this morning, and she goes, I said, did, did more people come than what you expected? And she goes, oh, yeah. Uh, but we had plenty of food because we're good Baptists, and we had plenty of cookies, you're a Baptist as well. So um, get a chance, uh, again, thank the ladies and different people who helped host that event. We've been living in the area since 2010 um, and served locally here at uh, local church. Um, and uh, again, uh, thankful to be here at UBC this morning. Uh, we're thankful again for all the family that we've gotten to know um, here at the UBC. And we truly call it our church family uh, because that's what it is. Um, we're family. We're getting to know each other. Um, and again, it's, it's been very good for our family um, and our four children, uh, all the way from college down to a 10-year-old boy. And again, God's just blessed us in so many ways, and we're thankful to be part of uh, this church. And look forward to God having, having us here, um, and just again, looking forward to, to seeing his goodness um, and telling other people about that as well. Um, if this is your first time here at UBC, thank you for being here. You could have chosen to do many other things today. Um, you could have chosen to be prepping for the game. I guess there's a game later today, um, a big thing in our culture. You could have been getting all that ready and going to the store and getting all the snacks and uh, getting the crock pot full of those little sausages things with barbecue sauce. Oh, my favorite. Um, so we're not quite at lunchtime yet. So, uh, but you could have done all kinds of things like that or just chosen to stay home, uh, but you chose to come here. So thank you. Um, I hope that, uh, again, you enjoy your time and you find a connectivity here uh, to the church family. You might be watching online today or you're over at East. Um, thanks again for being here. Um, if you happen to be uh, online watching it live or a later, at a later date, would you drop us a comment and just let us know that you're watching, something that we might be able to help you with um, or answer any questions, um, and then let us know where you're watching from. Um, I'm amazed to know how many people watch from states and sometimes countries away. So just let us know. And again, thanks for being here uh, with us. Um, and we hope that you get something out of this morning's message and let us know how we can be an encouragement to you also. 
Um, speaking of the Super Bowl, which is coming up here in just a little bit, um, there's a unique situation which is happening this week. Uh, there is a mom, for the first time ever, a mom has um, sons who are both playing in the Super Bowl. That's happened before. But these two boys happen to be on opposing teams. Um, and she had a jersey made up for her, you know, with both colors and everything like that. Her name is Donna Kels. Um, and how cool would it be to be able to have, you know, your sons, both of your sons, playing in the most important football game of their lives? Uh, they both had been in Super Bowls before, but this was the first time that they were opposing each other. So tonight, she will be cheering um, for both teams, and she'll be cheering for her sons. They both happen to play offense. Um, so she, in an interview, she said, I'm just going to cheer for the offense today. Um, or for tonight's game. Um, and again, at the end of the game, she will have cheered and rooted for the winning team. Um, so if you're new to church today, or it's been a long time since you've been in church, I'm cheering for you. Um, I'm really hoping that today that you'll uh, find your time here encouraging, um, informative, and maybe a little bit inspirational as well, and that you'll walk away with something. A phrase that I came up with several years ago was regarding church, um, if you come to church expecting to find something, you'll probably find it. If you come to church expecting to hear songs that you don't know, um, people who are unfriendly and the air temperature way too cold or hot than what you would have liked, you'll probably find that. But if you come to church today expecting um, to hear something <clears throat> that will help you spiritually, um, and you'll find some people who are encouraging um, and just find something, again, a, a good environment to be in, you'll probably find that as well. So I hope again this morning um, that, again, whether you're new here or whether you've been part of the UBC family for a long time, that that's what your experience will be today. Um, if you're joining us again uh, uh, for the first time, we're thankful that you're here. Um, and let us know again how we can help and encourage you as well. So this morning, um, in true uh, fashion, um, as we've been going through um, our Sunday morning series, um, I'm going to share some things from the book of Acts, chapter 17, here in just a minute. I'm going to share a Bible story, a uh, Bible passage. <clears throat> I'm also going to uh, walk through each verse and kind of give some talking points, um, and some, or not talking points, just give some points of application, and then um, we'll have some takeaways or some applications there at the end. So again, uh, I hope that uh, you are uh, ready um, to open up God's Word this morning. <clears throat> Three services is going to be difficult on my voice, so I appreciate your prayers. During our Sunday mornings here at UBC, um, we've been studying uh, the New Testament book of Acts. Uh, so in the New Testament in our Bibles, the fifth book in is uh, the Acts, and it's really the Acts of the Apostles. It was written by a man named Luke. Um, his name really wasn't Acts. Um, and he actually wrote two books, the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which records the story of Jesus um, and his life. And then in the book of Acts, he records um, the Acts um, of the Apostles in establishing the local church. Um, we're going to look at a very broad brush outline of this book um, as we begin today. So if you have your Bibles, again, I encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> In chapter 1, uh, Jesus, having risen from the dead, is getting ready to go back to heaven. And he commands his disciples to go and make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then really to all of the world, the rest of the world. He wanted them to be his witnesses. So the disciples went and did just that. And this is what we see in the rest of the book of Acts, um, really the Acts of the Apostles, um, those who were followers of Jesus, and then also the establishing of the early church. 
In the book of Acts chapters 2 through 8, we see the disciples, they become Jesus' witnesses. And they are in uh, primarily uh, the city of Jerusalem. um, And they are uh, making disciples and spreading the message of the gospel there. In chapters 8 through 12, the disciples then branch out and they go into the surrounding areas um, surrounding Jerusalem and they go into places called Judea and Samaria. Um, And these are just geographic areas around and just beyond where Jerusalem is at. And they're just obeying what Jesus told them to do, which is to make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, into the uttermost parts of the world. Starting in chapter 13, we read how the disciples take the good news about Jesus, the gospel message, um, really to the rest of the world. And for us, it's important because they begin taking the message of the gospel to Gentile people. Um, I am a a Gentile person. Um, I don't have any Jewish blood, to my knowledge, in me. Um, Most of us in the room and listening uh, would also qualify for that as well, um, that most of us are Gentiles. I'm so thankful that God, um, through the Apostle Paul and through the commission of Jesus, commands that the gospel message not be reserved just for Jewish people, which are very important to God, but also that that gospel message applies to the whole world. Um, And the, the gospel message through over hundreds of years has been spread really throughout the whole world. And that's why we do missions here, is to continue on that great commission. Um, so in chapters 13 and, uh, excuse me, uh, in chapter 13, we read how uh, the, the gospel message went out um, to the whole world. Uh, we also meet a man named, uh, whose life was really radically transformed and powerfully transformed um, by Jesus. And his name is Paul. When we first meet him, his name is Saul. He's a Pharisee. He's a very mean, wicked man who wanted nothing more than to destroy this new uprising called the Way or these followers of Jesus. He was a very devout Pharisee man um, and really persecuted Christians, killing Christians. Um, some of the early uh, disciples and apostles, um, he was really responsible for their execution. And uh, God, uh, Jesus, uh, miraculously uh, transforms his life and has an encounter with Saul and says, I'm, you are a persecutor of the church, and now I'm actually going to have you to be a proclaimer of the church and of the good news. And so uh, Jesus changes his name to Paul, um, and uh, just the transformation that takes place in Paul's life is amazing. Um, and uh, Paul then becomes one of the main people um, that we see in Scripture that spreads the gospel and establishes churches all over the place. Um, and we have an opportunity again to, to look at him this morning. This man was used by God to spread the good news about Jesus. Um, So in chapter 13 and 14 um, of the book of Acts, as we've seen, uh, the apostle Paul um, has a friend and his name is Barnabas, and he takes, uh, or they take their first missionary journey um, beyond uh, just the areas of Judea and uh, Samaria, and they they start spreading the gospel. And we've looked at this in the past, um, the past several weeks, if you've been with us, about how the gospel is spread. And they plant many, many churches. And starting in chapter 16, uh, Paul takes um, another friend on a different journey. Um, His name is Silas, and they go even further to the different parts of the world, um, of their known world, Um, places that they probably had never been to before and had only read about or heard about from other people. They go even farther, um, and their purpose, again, is to make disciples and start local churches. Um, So we arrive today at chapter 17, um, and we'll be looking at that, the latter part of that chapter today. And we see where Paul here is, has been facing some pretty hard opposition in his life. 
Um, his life was threatened many times because of the gospel message of Jesus, because it was so offensive to the people um, that were hearing it. Oddly enough, it was offensive to him when he first heard it as well, but his life had been transformed. So in chapter 17, he goes to a couple different cities, um, Thessalonica, and then also to Berea. Um, and his message was so well received that he, he received death threats. Um, there were some people who believed there and they started churches. But um, he, he uh, was run out of town um, and really his life was threatened. So um, the people, the Christian brothers <clears throat> in this city of Berea actually said, Paul, um, it's not safe for you here. There's more people south of here who need to hear this message of the gospel. So the people, the, the Christian brothers, there in Berea uh, have a, a team of people and they, they take or escort Paul um, all the way south um, to the city of Athens, the modern, same location as this, the modern day city of Athens that we can find on a map today. And that's actually um, Paul's location that we're going to be looking at today. And what did he do? He started talking to people about Jesus. Um, and in this way, it didn't get him in so much trouble physically, but it uh, definitely stirred up the people who were there. So each week, um, we, uh, for the past while, um, we always start off with sharing a big idea. So a couple weeks ago, the big idea that Jason uh, shared was this. God's call in your life may be more difficult, but it may be more fruitful than you could ever imagine. Last week, the big idea for the message was the best way to know the truth of God is to find it in the Scripture. We have God's word, um, his scriptures that he's given to us. And in it, it contains everything that we need to live a life obedient to how God wants us to. There's all kinds of benefits to living according to how God says for us to in the scripture. But beyond the benefits, it's just the sheer fact of it's obedient um, to what God wants us to, to the will of God. It offers a way for us to understand who God is and what he thinks of us and how to make him known. And that's why one of the things we love about UBC is the, the importance um, and the emphasis on God's Word as we Sunday mornings and throughout all the curriculum that we use um, and on, uh, in the, the growth groups um, and in the different kinds of ministries that we have. Everything pertains and is really focused on and filtered through God's Word. So for us this morning to understand what God's Word says is really important for us. And as a follower of Christ, May that be always be something that you and I do, is to understand more and more about God's Word. Not just to know, and I say this to some of the college students here, you don't study God's Word just to know more about the Bible. You study more of God's Word so that you know more about God. And let that, as I was going through Bible college and seminary, those are the kinds of things that, yes, we're absorbing all kinds of information. And you may be here or been a part of church all your life. Um, it's not, don't stop just with the facts about the Bible. Let those facts used by God, by God's Spirit, transform your life so that you know and truly can say the goodness of God in your own life because of who He is and what He's done for you. Today's uh, bottom line or today's big idea is this. The most powerful way to truly transform your world is to introduce people to Jesus. The most powerful way that you can transform the people and the, the situations that are around you is to introduce people to Jesus. 
Um, I like to fix things. Um, I've talked about power tools before. Um, uh, I spoke several years ago, right after I had gone to Harbor Freight and I had gotten a really, really big, high-powered, half-inch, high-torque impact drill. And um, half-inch, the black sockets and everything like that. And like this thing has a thousand pounds of torque, like it was dangerous, like it can strip lug nuts just like right off. Um, but it was great. Um, and I didn't know that um, I needed that tool until I actually found it and used it. And I'm like, oh, I've needed this tool for a long time. So I shared with my friend Paul. I'm like, Paul, you got to get this tool. It's a great thing. So we borrowed mine for a while. And then he ended up buying his own. Um, but having those things um, are great because, again, we like to fix things. Um, and a lot of us like to fix all kinds of things. Uh, the cars, um, the dish, many of us have dishwasher parts, um, which were on our kitchen floor for uh, too long of a time. And then we finally took them out and put them in a box in the garage. Because why? We like to tear into stuff and try to fix things. I have a natural curiosity for how things work. Sometimes I don't know how to fix things. Um, and many of us in here can attest to that for different things. Um, so when I can't fix something, a couple of the things that I do. Number one, um, I call a friend. I have friends who just are better at fixing cars or, or woodworking or whatever it might, repairs of some sort. Um, and if I can't find someone to do that, um, I go to the next best, best expert, which is YouTube. Because somebody out there has already done what I'm trying to do. We're all YouTube certified, right? Okay, we've all gone to YouTube for all kinds of stuff, medical stuff and um, you know, just all kinds. But when I need to fix something, I go there. Um, I want my vehicles to work right and not leave me painfully and dangerously stranded on the side of the road. Many people in our lives are living in pain and in danger. And the best way to help them is for you and I to introduce them to Jesus and watch Jesus transform their life. God used the Apostle Paul to transform his world um, for Jesus in the different ways that we see recorded in Scripture. So this morning, let's dive in to chapter 17. Verse 16 says of chapter 17, Now while Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, who were still back in Berea, he was waiting for them, and he was waiting for them finally having arrived in the city of Athens. Can we show the map? Um, in true Pastor Jason fashion. I'm going to show you a map. Um, and uh, it kind of builds on the ones that he's shown before. But we see the Apostle Paul in the second missionary journey. Um, he's traveled and gone on all those regions. And then he crosses over um, the sea there and he lands eventually in uh, Philippi and he gets down to Thessalonica and to Berea. Well, from Berea then, as we looked at last week, is from Berea all the way down to the city of Athens is over 300 miles um, by road. I don't, we don't have any, any indication in Scripture that Paul took a boat, even though I know the red line crosses over the blue lines there. But we don't have any indication of that. Other places we see Paul took a boat. Uh, but here we don't. I'm going to assume that he, he walked it. Um, he just hoofed it, um, him and his companions who were with him. We used to live in central Illinois, around the Peoria, Illinois area. Someone after service said, I used to live in Morton. I'm like, I know right where that's at. I can't imagine, um, it, it's just over 300 miles, I can't imagine walking that trip, much less with our children, um, all the way that distance. If you average 20-ish miles a day, you're looking at a 15, or excuse me, you're looking at a, a three-week kind of journey to be able to get all that distance. Um, and I can't imagine trying you know, to walk that. 
I also can't imagine Paul not doing anything like keeping to himself, because um, that's just not who we see him in Scripture. Um, while he's on this trip, they have to stop every night, find a place to stay, they have to buy food from people. All the different things you would do on any 13-week trip, or excuse me, on any three-week trip, um, always talking to people. And I think that that's what Paul would have done. He also would have had some time to reflect on the hardships that he had experienced um, already on this missionary journey and ones in the past as well. Um, and I can't imagine him not saying, you know, God, are you sure that this is what you want me to be doing? Like, you know, things aren't quite turning out. I share the gospel, and then people run me out of town. They threaten my life and those around me. Is, is this what you're calling me to do? And I can't help but imagine God just continuing to whisper to him, yes, just keep right on going. And as he was directed by God's spirit, um, he makes his way all the way down to the city of Athens. In verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he sees this. His spirit within him was provoked or agitated within him as he saw a city that was full of idols. Paul entered the city of Athens, I'm sure, looking like a tourist. You ever been to a really fancy new place and you walk in and you're just awestruck? You're like, I've never seen anything like that before. First time I went to Times Square in New York City, you stand there and you're looking at the big screen and just everything is electric around you and tons of people and it's like, I've never seen anything like this in the world. I can't imagine Paul didn't have that kind of same uh, thoughts when he walked in. The city of Athens, um, history tells us that just before this, the city of Athens was a city of around 10,000 people. Athens used to be uh, the crown jewel of the, uh, of the Greek empire. Um, it was the place to go. The Romans had conquered uh, several uh, hundred years before, but the Romans left, unusually from Roman, Rome, but they left uh, Athens, a lot of the culture and a lot of the things, um, their deities, they left them alone. And so Athens then wasn't yet, wasn't still in the limelight of what it used to be, uh, but it was definitely an impressive city and an impressive place to go to. Um, it was said by the historians that um, the you couldn't walk in Athens without seeing some kind of statue or temple or shrine to um, a god or their, their gods of their day. There was 10,000 people, and the historians said uh, that there were well over 30,000 kinds of statues and shrines and temples to these false gods. They were everywhere. Big ones, small ones, ones, uh, uh, plaques and things that were laid in, in the uh, walkways, um, all kinds of buildings. And this is the kind of city that Paul walks into. Definitely an impressive thing. Um, but his spirit is agitated or provoked within him. Why? Because he saw all these false gods. So in verse 17, he reasoned, he did what Paul did. He went into a city, he found a synagogue, and he started talking to him about Jesus. And he went into the synagogue, and with the Jews that were there, and with the devout, uh, other devout persons. And he also went into the marketplace every day with those who just happened to be there. So Paul did what he normally did, found the Jewish synagogue, went in, talked, told people about Jesus, including um, that he uh, was the son of God, died, was buried, and was raised. He also went into the marketplace, and I thought this interesting too, I, I context to this for today. Um, he talked about Jesus in the grocery store, in the shopping mall, um, and at Target. Wherever he was, he did that. He even went to Chick-fil-A, because that's where you're going to talk about Jesus, right? He went to the Chick-fil-A in Athens, and he talked about Jesus, because that's just what he did. 
Paul had to eat, he had to sleep, he had to live and converse with people. He just talked about Jesus. Everything about him, every chance he had, he went that. Do you and I talk about Jesus in the places that God has placed us in? Each one of us has unique uh, people relationships um, around us. In our cube farms, um, in uh, our sports teams, at college, um, just in our homes with our next door neighbors here at church. Do we talk about Jesus in just the everyday things of life? I just thought of this. Um, We used to have youth leaders back in Illinois when I was youth pastor there, um, and his name was Jerry. Um, And one of the first people that I had really met that everything in the conversation, every conversation, we were going to talk about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. Um, And I appreciate that about Jerry because it encouraged my heart to realize, you know, here's an older gentleman in life, kind of a Paul to me, um, who just talked about Christ in everything and how encouraging that was for me. Um, to see that you can talk about Christ in, his relation, in your relationship with him, wherever you're at. So do you and I do that as well? Verse 18, while Paul's there, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said to him, what does this babbler wish to say? Other people said, this one, this Paul seems to be preaching of foreign deities or foreign gods because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. In this verse, we see two groups of people, um, philosophers, that Paul happened to run into there in Athens. Ones were the Epicureans. They had a philosophy that saw the aim of life as pleasure, not necessarily like a hedonistic kind of pleasure, because they defined pleasure, though, as uh, they defined pleasure as the absence of pain, a simple kind of life. Along with this, they desired the avoidance of trouble and really the freedom from any kind of annoyance, just simple chill kind of people. They saw organized religion as evil. And so even the belief um, of the resurrection would have been something that they just would not have believed in because they wouldn't have believed in an afterlife as well. Another group of people that were there were the Stoics. The Stoics were recognized um, as rejecting the Epicurean ideal of pleasure. And instead, they stressed virtue. The Stoics emphasized responsibility for their own voluntary actions and believed that risks were worth taking. But the thought of the actual attainment of a virtue or of like reaching the goal that they were going for was really, really difficult and only few achieved it. Um, They also believed in divine providence. So there was all kind of people there. Some of the other people mentioned in this verse, it says some... um, said, what does this babbler say? The word babbler there, I found it interesting. It actually means uh, to be an ignorant show-off or one who goes and grabs little scraps of information and then tries to boast uh, about the latest and greatest thing, but really not having any any true understanding of what it is. Um, and they could be characterized as a person who lacks um, sophistication in their communication. And so some people were saying this about Paul. Little did they know he actually knew what he was talking about. It also talks about other people. Um, The others here, um, he seems to be preaching foreign deities because he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Um, To our knowledge, this is the first time the true message of Jesus went to the people of the city of Athens. The gospel, this was the first time as the gospel was being spread that people actually hear about Jesus. They would have, uh, the philosophers of that day, that's what you did in Athens, we'll find out later, um, they were curious to know about this new one named 
Jesus. And Paul is going to tell them more um, about who Jesus is as well. They're curious because they hadn't heard about Jesus yet. But the thing that got them the most curious was the idea of the resurrection of Jesus. This would have been different from their, uh, any of the gods that they, or philosophies that they had heard of before. Um, and we'll see later that this actually, the resurrection, became a very divisive issue among the philosoph- philosophers that were there. The Areopagus, the Areopagus, there we go. Um, verse 19, so then they took Paul um, and they brought him to the Areopagus. Um, and they said, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. I want to show a picture of an artist drawing of what uh, this place may look like. So this is a, again, a rendition of what uh, Athens may have looked like. In the distance, um, you have uh, the Parthenon and the Acropolis um, kind of, the biggest, tallest place around there. Right below that, in dark, um, you can see a very flat place with some buildings surrounding it, some more of the statues um, to the false gods. And this would be a location um, where all the people who wanted to, uh, the experts of all these philosophies would have gathered daily, and they would have just discussed the latest and greatest thing in regarding to philosophies. Um, And they would have just, they would have come there, and this is where they brought Paul to come into. And it's interesting because um, their curiosity is what actually led them. This was not a hostile group um, at all. Um, In in verse uh, 20, they say, uh, because you bring some strange teaching to our ears, Paul, we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Um, Again, it was just a a rocky hill place, uh, flat place, uh, again, where where these councils took place. Actually, the term can actually mean uh, for the the location itself or just the gathering of the particular people that were there as well. In context, it refers, uh, again, to the advisory council of Athens, and they dealt with things like ethical, cultural, and religious matters including the supervision of education and then the controlling of uh, the visiting guest speakers or guest lecturers. Um, So the reason that they wanted him to come was Paul's teaching was something that was new to them. We find in verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. I think this is kind of a parenthetical kind of statement to say, all these people did was just sat around and talked, and they talked, and they talked. You ever be around people like that, that just like, let's do something. Nope, I want to talk it over some more. That's what these people did, and just their philosophies. Um, they weren't the people who fixed cars and dishwashers. They just talked about the importance of doing those things and different ways of doing it, but they never actually did those things. Paul had an audience with these people. So in verse 22, um, we see that Paul actually is going to speak to them. Um, the people who would, uh, going back to verse 21, um, all the people who were, were there, um, again, like to talk about the latest and greatest thing that was coming up. Whatever their motive was, they were always looking for something else because they didn't want to miss anything. And I think the reason is, is they really just didn't have any hope. They didn't have any hope, and they were always trying to find this new thing that may satisfy um, their real longing for hope. Um, in their lives. We have people in our circles of influence who have no hope about their future. Uh, All kinds. You just think of the person, God's bringing somebody to your mind. Who is the person uh, that, again, you you know that they have no hope about their future? Many are searching for something, and many try to find it in the latest and greatest thing that's out there, um, many of which are just false. Um, 
And it's important for us to realize um, that we have the opportunity to really help them, their world to be transformed by showing them Jesus and the Jesus that we know. Um, we can do that in person or online and wherever God allows us to go, whether it be um, at the dinner table, um, in the hospital room, uh, whether it be um, at the car repair shop or at the drive-thru. Um, God allows us to share the message. He gives us plenty of opportunities to talk about Jesus in the normal everyday things of life. So verse 22, so Paul standing in the midst of them all said, men of Athens, and this is his great speech. Sometimes it's called uh, the sermon on Mars Hill. Um, but it says, this is what he said to them, men of Athens, um, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And they were, they were very religious uh, with all their gods and deities that were around them. And he said, showing them their context after he'd been there for a while, he said, for I passed along um, walking through your streets and I have observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar, one of the many, he said, I, but I found an altar with this inscription in the plaque, it said, to an unknown God. And Paul walks around and first time he'd ever seen anything like this, so I'm sure he stood there, you know, like a monkey looking at a math problem and was like, why in the world uh, do they have this? But he capitalizes on that and he talks about Jesus and uses that as their illustrator, as the way uh, to talk with them. So he makes a statement about this plaque or to this inscription to the unknown God. He says, what therefore you worship as unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. I'm going to tell you about who this unknown God is. Paul affirms their attempts to try to cover all of their bases with the divine. They had gods for everything. Um, and it was in some ways a blend of both their Greek gods and even some Roman gods as well. And then ones that they just made up and even a plaque and a God, because we don't want to miss anything, cover all of our bases. Why? They didn't have any hope. We have hope. We have hope in a risen savior who's alive and in heaven in preparing a place for us one day if we're believers um, and followers of him. These people didn't have any hope. That phrase, um, what therefore you worship is unknown, I proclaim to you. The literal translation is this. What you worship without knowing it, I'm going to tell you about. What you worship even without knowing. The Athenians had a curiosity and they wanted to know. They just hadn't been told yet. That's why we go to Togo. That's why we go to the uttermost parts of the world. That's why we go to Dayton. That's why we go to our next door neighbors to tell people about Jesus because God's placed in each one of our hearts a curiosity, a longing. We, we call it that God hole in our hearts. Um, and people try to fill that with all kinds of stuff um, and it never satisfies. But when, when our lives have been transformed by Jesus, um, we have hope and we are able to give that and show other people, introduce them to Jesus so that their lives can be transformed so that they can have hope for this life and for the next as well. So Paul begins to talk to them. We get to verse 24. He continues in his sermon here. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself is the one who gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. As we saw from that picture earlier, in the city of Athens, there was the Parthenon, there was the Acropolis, there was all of these 
magnificent temples and structures that people had made out of stone and all these materials for the purpose of trying to somehow gain favor with or appease or satisfy, get grace from their gods. We know that that was meaningless, but the people there in Athens, this was what they did. And they spent a lot of time and money and effort and energy and resources in making some really, really cool buildings that some of them are still standing today. So what they did, like they put effort into that. Um, so they were dedicated in trying to do that. Um, the temple worship here uh, that Paul talks about um, that they were doing included the taking care of the God's needs um, in order to appease or satisfy them. He talks about our true God, the God that Paul here is talking about, um, that he gives life to all mankind, life and breath and everything. He goes on in verse 26 and says, This God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. And here's the purpose. So that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him or wander their way toward him and then actually find him, even though he is not actually far off from each one of us. Paul says that the one true God this new God that they don't know about yet, is involved and in complete control of the events of all the peoples of the earth. And we would attest to that true as we see in the rest of Scripture as well. I love it how it says in verse 27, it's a, it's a statement, it's a henna clause uh, called it's a purpose. Uh, so all these things were stated above so that um, they should seek God. God's purpose in revealing himself to mankind is to allow people to actually find him and then ultimately to know him. Isn't it amazing that the God that we serve, the God that made heaven and earth, placed every star and every grain of sand um, and made each one of us actually wants us to know him. The Athenians didn't have that promise at all. Um, they were hopeless. Their gods were mean and didn't want anything to do with them. Um, or they were very selfish. Um, it, they were nothing like the one true God that Paul here was talking about. I'm so glad that we have a God who loves us and knows us and wants us to know him and he us. And I'm so thankful that again, he's given us that opportunity um, and has presented himself even like this morning um, so that we can actually know him. And our job just doesn't start with that. We can do what Paul did, which was actually make him known to the people that God had allowed him to be in contact with. Verse 28, Paul continues in his message. He says, For in him, God, we live and move and have our being. And even as some of your poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Paul is quoting one of their known poets who lived a couple hundred years before. And Paul affirms a general relationship and an accountability to God for all mankind and for all humanity. It reminds me of that inscription that uh, Paul had told them about or that Paul had read uh, that said, to the unknown God. Um, we have a general uh, relationship and accountability to God, and God gives that for all mankind. He also offers um, a way so that we can know him and actually receive uh, forgiveness and grace, and that's through the message of Jesus Christ. Paul will talk about that here in just a little bit, and we'll continue on with that. Verse 29. Being then, Paul says, being then that we're all God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold and silver or stone, an image that was formed by art um, and the imagination of man. 
Verse 30, the times of ignorance God had overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere, and here's the divisive part, to repent. Paul used, Paul used um, the accepted philosophies of the day, but Paul says that people have a responsibility, though, to this one true God. If God made them or since God made them, people have a responsibility back to this God, and God has given instructions on what they want to do. And now this God calls everyone to repent or to turn from um, their evil ways and turn to him. Um, and God wants them to do it now. The Athenians weren't quick on any decision or anything. They wanted to talk it and mull it over and talk it over a thousand times. Um, but Paul says God has shown himself and, and is able to make himself known. And he wants people to turn and repent to him, not sometime down the road, like right now. Up to now, Paul's message, though, was interesting, um, but now when he calls for repentance, now Paul's message to the Athenians becomes uncomfortable, and he calls people to repent, um, and that was really, though, a call to change for the Athenians, and really nobody likes change. Most of us don't like change, and the Athenians were like that, and, and they didn't want uh, to have to make any kind of change. Again, they just wanted to talk about it forever. But Paul presents to them the message that the one true God is calling you to do something and actually change. One of those things is to repent. Verse 31, he continues on the last part of his message. And he says, because this God, though, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man that he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance but to the man he has appointed, to all people by raising this one from the dead. Now the message to the Athenians just gets ludicrous, um, that, that this idea of the resurrection. Paul concludes his message by telling people that if they don't repent, they're going to face judgment from the one true God. And that's not popular with anyone. And the judgment, though, will come from the one whom God has picked. And that person we know from this message, we also know from other things that Paul taught, was about the message of Jesus, that he, was, that he died, was buried, and that he rose again. Um, and that he's really the true God. Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, because of that, that Jesus has authority to be the judge of the living and the dead with divine authority. He goes on to say, Jesus has full authority to execute perfect justice in all the affairs of mankind because when we all stand before him one day, we will stand, all people will stand before him either as um, the, their loving savior and rescuer who gives eternal life or as a judge. And this judge executes his perfectly, judicially perfect punishment which is being eternally separated from him in a place called hell. That was not a popular message in that day, and it's really not a popular message in our day necessarily, to say that Jesus offers life and forgiveness and, and hope um, and the opportunity for your life to be transformed and to actually know God. The other option is of rejecting that is you'll stand, all people will stand before God one day and will stand before Christ um, I, I'm facing him as my loving savior and rescuer, but people who have not placed their faith in him as their savior and haven't received salvation will face him one day as their judge um, who will perfectly judiciously execute justice and punishment 
in a place of eternal separation from himself called God, or called hell. And the most loving thing that we can do um, is to take the message of the gospel, talk about how it's transformed our life, um, and then share with people the hope that they can have as well. That's the best way that we're going to be able to transform the world that's around us. Verse 32, now when they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some people mocked. Um, and others said, we're going to hear you again about this. Um, so Paul departed from their midst. But some men joined him and they believed. Among those uh, who believed were Dionysus, um, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them as well. Paul's message that day fell on three, uh, three kinds of ears that day. Those people who mocked and disbelieved, those people who deferred a conversation um, with Paul and still eventually disbelieved him as well. The ones who said, we'll hear you again someday. The likelihood of Paul, uh, them inviting Paul back, we don't see it recorded. Um, and the likelihood of that um, probably just didn't happen. But there were some of those who actually joined Paul and joined in this belief and they believed the message about Jesus that day. And they became believers and followers of the way um, about Jesus. The biggest hang-up for the listeners to Paul ultimately revolved around the resurrection of Jesus. Um, they, they believed that Jesus may have been a historical figure um, and was probably crucified for what he stood for. But the idea of someone coming back from the dead was way beyond something that most of them could handle um, for whatever their philosophies were of the day. Kind of sounds like some people that may be in our circles as well. Not just the people online and, you know, and on whatever particular social media thing you know, that, that uh, we read about and sometimes banter with people on, um, but the people who are living right next door to us, possibly the people in this room, um, people that you know. The resurrection is, is a point to get across, um, is definitely a, one of the thresholds um, in faith. But Paul shared this, um, and they actually, many of them, or excuse me, some of them actually believed. After this um, encounter with them, we read um, in the verse that uh, Paul left, um, and we find out he went to the city uh, of Corinth um, and continued, again, preaching the gospel. And this is where uh, next week's message will actually start off. Um, I was talking about the book, or excuse me, talking about Paul's journey um, to Corinth, again, where he makes disciples um, and starts churches. So for today, I have three takeaways that I want us to consider today. As we've looked at this, a very lengthy passage, um, I want us to consider these things. Number one, the gospel message must include the resurrection of Jesus. The gospel message has to include something about the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, a, a passage we normally read during communion time, it says that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and you're justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. To be saved, you must believe um, in the centrality and the, the real resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. And when we share the gospel, that has to be included in our message. Number second takeaway, the gospel message always applies to anything, anywhere, and anytime. 
How many, do, do you all travel a lot for your jobs? I mean, like on the expressway, long distances. I know Jeff Vanskoy does for lots of different things. There's a trucking company with this slogan. And the reason that I put it in here like this is so that because I've mentioned this, it's a white truck with green lettering, you're going to see this truck now. And it says that they'll deliver things, any, anything, anywhere, and at any time. When you see that sign, let it remind you that no matter what it was, where you're at, or how long it's been going on, Jesus can change you. And Jesus has changed me. And the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that he offers is able to transform and change anyone. Anyone. And we all know stories of people that he's changed and transformed. When was the last time that we shared our story of transformation with someone who really needs to hear it as well? That may be the thing that God uses um, in that person's life so that their life is transformed. Third point is this, as we conclude. Not everyone that you talk to about Jesus will believe, but some will. What divides that or what makes the difference? God. Our job, he calls us to, sh to spread the gospel and to talk about the transformation that's taken place. Um, not everyone's going to believe. You may be mocked. You may be, have some kind of hardship from that. I don't know. But some people will believe. You might not ever see the results of the impact and uh, the, the seeds that you've sown spiritually into someone else's life. And God may use that. Uh, I'm reminded one plants, one waters. God's the one who causes the growth. Um, a large number of people heard Paul's preaching of the gospel. Most rejected it, but some did believe I close with this illustration. Um, several years ago, I had the opportunity to speak at the closing program for our Awana program at our church. Um, now, these are the little Awana kids, you know, the little Sparkies who they have an appropriate name. They're all Sparks. Um, and it's the end of the year, and the kids are all excited, and parents are there. And on the wall are the tables with all the cookies and the cake um, and all these sugary things that, you know, of course, let's give this, you know, sugar up your kids and send them back to their homes. I was asked to give the gospel um, and to, to give the closing remarks in the program. So I was given eight minutes. And during those eight minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to talk about Christ um, and give a clear gospel presentation. Um, so I did. In the crowd that night was a young boy um, whose name is Ian. He was in first service today. Um, and that young boy, I found out about a week later, um, his mom called me and said, hey, I just have to let you know, you shared the gospel that Wednesday night at the Iwana program. Later that, a uh, couple nights later, I was able to have a conversation with my son and he trusted Christ. Um, and we talked about the things that you had talked about in, in your uh, talk with the Iwana kids. Um, that young man is now a late teenager um, getting ready to go off to college. And it reminds me that you never know who is gonna be listening to the message of the gospel. Our job, though, is to talk about Jesus wherever we're at. Not everyone will convert. Not everyone will truly believe, but some will. Who are the people in your and I's life that need to hear about the gospel? Um, they're all around us. May God give us um, the uh, courage um, and the eyes to see people around us who truly need to hear about the gospel. Because when we share about the resurrection and when we share about um, Jesus our world in which we live will be transformed. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that we have a chance um, to open up your word um, and study it. Um, give us your eyes um, and give us your courage um, to share 
the share the message of the gospel and the transformation that you've done in our lives with the people that are around us. Thank you again for your great love for us that we can meet this morning. And again, thank you so much um, that you've uh, placed um, a place for us in heaven with you one day. We love you, and I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.